dive into the Word. This is our last Sunday in this series that we've called the Church of Jesus Christ. And kind of jokingly, we say every week, it's not what you think. It's not what you think. Right? We're just unpacking from the Bible. What is the church? What, what is the church? Where did the church come from? What is the church supposed to do? What's the church supposed to be, be about? How are we supposed to be about those things? Um, and so this, this is, we, could, we could go on for weeks on this. But this is going to be our last Sunday. And we're talking about praise and worship. Praise and worship. What is praise and what is worship and how are we supposed to do that collectively? And I really want to answer two questions. How do we do that individually? And how do we do that when we come together as a church, right? The series is on the church. And so what does that look like within the context of the church? We're going to look at a text from Romans uh, chapter 11 and 12. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible, you're going to want one. I should have said this earlier. There's a blue one underneath the seat you're sitting in. You can reach down there and pull that out. Um, really easily. It's on page 1049 in that blue Bible. Romans 11. The end of Romans 11 is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Um, but remember this as you're flipping there, right? When Paul wrote the book of, or the letter to the church in Rome, he didn't write chapter 11, verse 34. He didn't write that, right? We added that later. We added it so that I could stand up here and say, Turn in your Bibles to 1134. You can find it. We can find things easy. We can help each other find things by adding chapters and verses. And so when we see a chapter break, the author's not breaking there, right? So Romans, the end of Romans 11 is, is deeply linked to Rome, the beginning of Romans 12, right? This is all one thought. And so we're going we're gonna to read this together. We believe here at Flourishing Grace that this is the Word of God. And so if you're able, if you'd stand with me in reverence to that Word as I read it for us this morning. We're going to pick it up in Romans 11, verse 34. Sorry, in 33. 33. Oh, the depth of the riches in wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, have a seat. Praise and worship. Praise and worship. Since the moment you were born, from the moment you were born, you have been praising and worshiping all of the time. Whether you realize it or not, we are, we are creatures of praise and creatures of worship. All day, every day, from the moment our eyes open to the moment they close at night, uh, we are praising and worshiping all sorts of things. All of the time, we are, we are doing this, left and right. How do we see it? Well, what is praise and what is worship? Well, praise is, is the easier of the two, right? Because we know what praise is. 
because it's, it's, it's an acceptable thing, right? We praise our children, right? When our children do something good, when they get a good grade on a test, um, we, we're like, man, good job, that's awesome, good, that's, that's nice work, right? We're praising that work. We're praising the, the effort that they put in, and we're, we're, we're praising the result of that effort. C.S. Lewis put it this way, he said, praise is the culmination of our enjoyment of anything. That's what praise is. I have joy in the work you put in and the result that it produced. Praise. Your kid kicks a goal in, in soccer, right? It's like, yes, nice, good job. Your team scores, right? Your team, somebody on your team hits a home run. It's like, yes, right? I'm praising. Man, the, the skill, the effort, and the result of that effort, man, yes, I'm, it's bringing me joy, and therefore I am praising the result of, the, of that effort, right? This is praise. We praise all of the time, constantly, always. We are praising all day, every day. We are saying, man, these things bring joy. These things are bringing me delight. These things are good. These things are awesome. These things are great. All the time. Praise is an easy one. We're constantly doing that. Worship is a little bit different. So if praise is lifting something up and saying, man, this thing's awesome, worship is submitting ourselves to a thing. Worship is the submission of yourself. It's the sacrificing of yourself or devoting of yourself to a thing, right? Saying, this thing is worthy of my devotion or my time, or this thing is, is better than all of the other things that are like it, right? All the other things are in subject to it. The problem is, is that by our human sinful nature, we are constantly misaligning these things. We're constantly giving more praise than things are actually due and more worship to things than, than there should actually be worshipped. I have a five-year-old son. His name's Winston. Some of you know him. In, in this season of life, five years old, at least twice a week, at least twice a week, Winston will say, this is the best day ever. At least twice a week, which is, which is crazy, Right? And I'm, I'm like, I don't think that's true, um, but, but here, like the, the most recent one was just a few, few days ago. We went out to dinner, and we had sushi, which is Winston's favorite food. He loves sushi, like sushi and mac and cheese. Like, that's, that's it for him. And we're, we're, we ate sushi. We're in the car on the way home. He's like, this is the best day ever, right? I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's not. Like, we've been to Disney World. Like you've met Mickey Mouse and ridden roller coasters and done all of that stuff. Like the amazing, um, that, like that had to be better, right? It's like I'm pretty sure this is not true, right? We're misaligning praise and worship, right? Winston is worshiping. He's submitting all other days, like in human history, okay, to this day. All, there's never been a day better in the history of existence of the world, better than the day that he got to eat sushi for dinner. Like, it's just not accurate. And it's funny when you're five, but the reality is that as adults, we're doing it all the time. Constantly, constantly, we are misaligning praise and worship. We're assigning more joy to things than we should assign joy to. And we're submitting ourselves and other things in life to things that we shouldn't submit to all of the time. 
right? It might be um, the pursuit of wealth, right? We say, man, if I could just make this money, this amount of money, then, then that would be worthy of praise. Like, that would bring me joy. So praise it. Like, let's, let's do it. Let's, 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 let's praise the effort and the energy to attain this goal, right? and let's submit things to it. Let's submit our time and our energy and our affections. Right? Let's submit our family's time and our time with our family. Let's submit time with our, that we could be investing in, like hobbies or sport or fun. Let's submit all of that to the goal of, of making more, of acquiring more, of buying more, right? Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a person in your life, right? Maybe it's a, a boss. You say, man, this person is worthy of my time and my devotion and my love, right? To an unhealthy extent. Maybe it's a significant other, right? You have, you have submitted so much to this person, right? It's just an unhealthy amount. Like you, you are saying no to things that you shouldn't say no to, and you're saying yes to things you shouldn't say no to because you've submitted too much to this person. So it could be an idea, it could be an object, it could be a person, but we're constantly doing this. We don't even see it happening unless you see it in somebody else's life. We're constantly worshiping things out of order and praising things out of order. We ascribe the wrong amount of praise and worship to the wrong things. In this passage in Romans, Paul is praising and teaching us to worship the ultimate thing. You see, true praise and true worship, ultimate praise and ultimate worship, is, is, is saying, man, this thing in my life is worthy of the most praise. None of these things can be equal. There's, a, there's an order to all of the things you praise. You praise everything in life either more or less than another thing. And what Paul is saying is there, there's, there's something in life that is worthy of more praise than all of our things. And because it's worthy of more praise, it's worthy of more worship, more submission, more devotion. Here's how he does it. Paul, I love the end of Romans 11 because... Paul, normally, when you read Paul, he is writing these deep theological truths compacted into like tight little sentences, and you're just, your mind is just like, ah, so hard to understand. And, he, and he's kind of writing on, a, on an intellectual on an intellectual level to the church. But in the end of Romans 11, Paul breaks from that mold, and he bursts into the song. Oh, the depths of the riches in the wisdom, in the knowledge of God. It's like he's overwhelmed by thinking about intellectually trying to comprehend the depths of what God owns, his wealth, his riches, what he knows, and the extent of his wisdom. He knows all things. He is wiser than anyone. There is nothing that is outside of his knowledge, and he owns all things. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. No one, is, no one has ever searched the ways of God and said, man, I've got it all figured, I've got God figured out. No one's ever figured him out. No one's ever scrutinized his ways. No one's ever said, you know what, you could have done that better. He's done everything perfectly. For who has known the mind of the Lord? No one's ever, no one's ever grasped the mind of God. No, no one's ever been able to even come close to understanding the magnitude of what he knows. For he has known the mind of the Lord. No one who has been his counselor, who has God gone to and said, man, I just need some help right now. No one. He's never needed help. 
He's never needed counsel. He's never needed you to come in and, and, and sit on the couch and, so that he can tell you all of the things that are going on in his life, so that you can kind of give him some advice. No one's ever been his counselor. Everything he has done ever in the history of eternity, for all time, he has done perfectly. No one's ever counseled him. And no one's ever given him a gift that he might be repaid. Who's given him a gift that he might be repaid? He owns all things. He owns all things. There is nothing that we have to, to give him that is not already his. Right? We, we fool ourselves into believing that in some way, shape, or form we can, we can barter with God. Right? Like I see teenagers doing this all the time. It's like, if you'll just get me a date with this guy, then I'll give you my life. Which is a dumb thing to promise God. But it's also not true. It doesn't work. Your life already belongs to him. Paul knows this, right? Because Paul's life is snatched up by God on the road to Damascus. And all God has to do in that moment is to reveal a little bit of the glory of Christ to him. He goes blind for three days and is ruined for anything else than the praise and worship of the Almighty God for the rest of his life. Wholly devoted to him. In an instant, God knows all he has to do in order to gain your complete devotion is to just give you a glimpse of his glory. And it's his. You're ruined for anything less. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Alone. No one else. Forever. So Paul is lifting up who God is. He is creating this picture of praise. He's praising God for being far more worthy, far bigger, far more knowledgeable, far richer than all things ever in the history of anything. And then, and then he turns to his audience and says, Therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul responds with this call to whole life submission, your, your body. Present, therefore, because God is worthy of all praise, submit, worship Him with all that you are, all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, worship Him. Submit all that you are to Him. This is your spiritual Worship your whole body or the body of your life, every action, every thought, every idea, everything that you hold, submit it to Him in, in obedience to the Spirit of God. Moment by moment, submitting to Him. Whatever you would ask me in this moment of my life, Jesus, I submit to you. Spirit, prompt me, lead me, guide me. All of me is submitted to you because you are worthy of all praise and you are worthy of all worship. Now, how do we do that? How do we actually do that? Paul answers the question as well. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed. Do not submit to. Do not devote to. Do not worship things of this world, but renew your mind. Work within your mind to renew your view of what is right and worthy to be praised. Who God is and what he has done for you. Fill your mind 
with who God is and what He has done for you on the cross. Remind yourself that He is above all things. And the one who is above all things, the one who Paul describes from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. That God gave His life for you. He's worthy of our submission and our devotion in every area of our life. So when we have uh, an opportunity or a temptation, it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing, we submit all things to Him. So our boss comes to us at work and he says, man, I want to give you a promotion. Or maybe it's a new job. You get this, this opportunity to make way more money, right? If we submit to the things of this world, we're conformed to the world. Right? We say, man, think of all the things I can get. I can get all the good stuff. I can, I can redesign my house. I can buy a new car. I can go on vacation. I can do all of these awesome things with this new money. This is great. If I submit everything to me and my desires and my comfort and my security, my hopes, my dreams, everything is submitted to me, and I'm submitting to the way of the world. But if I remind myself, no, 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 God owns all things. He owns my children. He owns my house. He owns my soul. He owns everything that I'll ever hold in my hands, and everything I ever hope to hold. And that same God has given his life. He's given the life of his son for me. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of that one. Man, may my whole life be in obedience to him. Spirit, conform me. Spirit, help me to live moment by moment for you, for his glory, not for my own. Now, suddenly, my decision is, is not different. Still take the job, still take the promotion, but how I do it is different. I now live my life with open hands, and I say, God, might it be for your glory, not for my own? Might it, might, might it be for the good of others, not for my comfort and my security? We live differently when we live lives of worship. And what Paul is saying here is this, this is an all-day, everyday event. We are constantly, uh, all areas of our life, it's an all-encompassing work of renewing our minds before God and submitting to Him in all things. In all things. This is work. Paul is saying this is work. If you're not doing the work, it's not working. Paul is saying this is work. You must be renewing your mind constantly, actively, all of the time. Now some of you say, Josh, no, 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 we're saved by grace through faith, not by works that nobody may boast. Like, what are you talking about work? Right? James says faith without works is dead. And this is what he's talking about. Worship is work. It's the work that we do as a result of what God, who God is and what God has done for us on the cross, on who he is and what he's done for us, we work. We work to, to believe that, to produce that in our minds, to gain a better, better a grasp and understanding of his might and his majesty, his wonder and his splendor. We are working, we're working to grasp that all the more and be reminded and be renewed in that all the more so that we might submit all the more, worship all the more, the one who is worthy of all worship. This is the work of every follower of Jesus. In your individual life, worship is work. Worship is a whole life work in response to who God is and what God has done for us. Worship is a whole life work in response to who God is and what God has done for us. Now, the rest of our time I want to spend talking about how does this play out in the church, in the gathering, if you will. When we gather together, how does this play out? What does that look like for us? 
as these, as these whole life worshipers, okay, as we're working throughout our days to renew our minds, to worship God, what does it look like when we gather together? I think this is going to be a little bit different than what, maybe what you think or maybe what you've been taught or shown. Uh, what I want to do is I want to break down three of kind of the most well-known passages in the New Testament that talk about, describe the gathering of church and, and the praise and worship that's happening here, Spe- specifically through song, okay? The, the passages that we go to when we talk about singing in church, okay? Because singing is a part of it, all right? It's not all of it. It's a part of it, okay? I want to break these down. I want to show you there's a common thread that links all of them together. The first one is from Colossians, Colossians 3, 16 through 17. If you want to flip there, you can. If not, it'll be up on there on the screen. Paul writes to the church in Colossae, he says this about the gathering. Let the word of Christ, right, this, this truth and knowledge of who God is and what he's done on the cross, the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing who? One another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we do this through Jesus. We're giving thanks to God through Jesus when we gather together. But we're, we're teaching and we're admonishing, we're, we're inspiring and encouraging one another. Not one person to everyone, but you to the people who are sitting around you. We're working together to do this. The next one is Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. It reads this way. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing who? One another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with, all, with, with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to who? One another. We're getting there. Out of reverence for Christ. So we see this idea of singing, and who are we singing to? One another. We're making melody to the Lord, yes, but we're singing, we're admonishing one another through song. We're singing hymns and spiritual hymns to each other. So when you lift your voice, you're actually bringing courage to the people who are sitting around you. We come to sing to each other, to lift our voices to the Lord and to each other. This is the work of the church. And we're submitting to one another. As an act of worship, we're submitting to each other. As Christ submits to the Father and goes to the cross, we're emulating Christ as we submit to each other. And when we gather together, we're putting each other above us. In an act of reverence and worship to Christ, we're, we're ordering the things in which we worship rightly, and we become lower and lower on that list as Christ moves higher and higher on that list. Last one, Hebrews 10, 24-25. And let us consider how to stir up one another. I stole it. Gosh, Josh, I ruined it. Let us consider how to stir up who? All right. To love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging who? One another. 
as all the more you see the day drawing near. So as we gather, we stir up each other. We are working in each other's lives. We're singling people out. We know that this person's going through this thing and this person's going through that thing. And so we're speaking into their life and saying, how are you? What can I be doing for you? Let me stir you up to love and good works. Let me love you and give good works to you so that you might be encouraged to do that in other people's lives. We're encouraging one another all the more as we think and, and, and cast our mind to the day that's drawing near when Christ is going to call us home. The people who we're going to share heaven with are the people who we're investing in every single week as we gather, is what the author of Hebrews is communicating. Worship individually is this work that we do 24 hours a day, or not 20, from the, from, while we're awake, from the moment we wake to the moment we sleep. Worship is the work that we're doing. But when we gather, worship is also the work that we're doing. We are working together when we come together on Sunday morning to worship our God. This is where we get the word liturgy. Some of you might have grown up in a, a church that talked about liturgy a lot. Maybe you grew up in an Anglican church or a Catholic church or maybe an old school Reformed church and talked a lot about liturgy. Liturgy comes from two Greek root words, work of the people. Work of the people is, is where we get this word liturgy. It was, a, it was the Greek kind of rich Roman official who would donate his time to the people, be a public servant, if you will, right? Was where, was where we get this word, a public servant. And later the church adopted it for, for the idea of a minister, the one who serves, volunteers to serve the people. For those of you who have been tracking with us in this series, who are the ministers of Flourishing Grace? Come on now. Who are the ministers of the church? You are. You are. You are the ministers called to do the work of ministry within the church. You're the ministers. You, you're doing the work of the people. And so we have to get this idea of liturgy from this idea of the people coming together to do the work in each other's lives as we gather together on Sunday morning. Now, liturgy is often described as this, it's kind of an order of a service, which is far more than that. It's an order in which we work. And we have a liturgy here at Flourishing Grace. We don't, we, don't, we don't kind of talk about it openly. We talk about it behind the scenes. Our staff is always talking about it or wrestling through it. Our, our liturgy is the same almost every single week. We rarely, if ever, kind of divert from our liturgy. And our liturgy is designed to help you do the work. The first work we do when we gather on Sunday morning is a work of praise. You come in, the first thing we do, often we'll read a text, we'll read from the Psalms, we'll read a passage of Scripture that, that magnifies and glorifies our God, that speaks of His greatness. And then we'll sing a song about that. The first song we sing every Sunday is a song that talks about the greatness and the worth and the value and the beauty of God. Every week, we're doing the work in our hearts and in our minds of, of, of magnifying, stretching, expanding our view of His goodness and His vastness, his power, his might, his majesty. That's the work that we're doing together. As we sing to each other, as we encourage each other, that's the work we're doing in our minds and in our hearts. And then we move into a work of confession. We lift God up, but then we remind ourselves of who we are. Broken and sinful and desperate need of a Savior. We'll sing a song of confession. We sing a song of confession in the second song this morning. Often, regularly, Right? We'll sing songs. Are you hurting and broken within was the opening lines of our second song. This idea of sinfulness coming before a perfect and spotless God. We sing a song of confession. We declare that we are not 
who He is. Every single week, and often I'll come up and I'll lead us in a time of confession. We, we think through our weeks and we confess our sin together. But then the next song, the next piece of work, is a work of assurance. We remind ourselves that this beautiful, majestic, wonderful God went to the cross to purchase us and to redeem us. His blood saves us. Right? He, he was the sacrifice on our behalf, but then he also clothes us in his righteousness to bring us up and to unite us with him. We have this assurance of hope in Christ alone. Every single week we sing a song of assurance, reminding us of the fullness and the completeness of the work of the cross. The full picture, the beauty of the gospel on display as we sing to each other and lift our melody to God. Then we have a, a family time, right? A time where we engage together, right? Where, 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 we, where we say, hey, find somebody around you and, and engage with them. Now, some of you say, gosh, I hate that time, right? It's like awkward, and I don't know what to do with my hands. And I, 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 I just kind of like sit there, and it's like, ah, I pretend to write on the card. Like, like here, here's the reality, right? And, and flourishing grace is long, right? Some churches, it's like two seconds. They're like, hey, meet somebody new, and the next thing you know, like they're already into the next thing. No, it's long here. Because we are a family. We're the body of Christ. We are engaging that work of stirring one another up together every single week. So we give time to that. So that you can go find those people that maybe weren't here last week and you can encourage them. Or maybe the person who you know is going through something hard and you can breathe courage into their life and you can pray for them. You can find those people that you know or maybe find people who are new and just welcome them into that family. Welcome them into that community. We devote time to that. And then we engage in an offering so that we can invest financially into each other. When we say we're giving to the church, we're giving to the people who are sitting around us. And then we sit underneath, we do the work, we do the work of sitting underneath the teaching of the Word. Each one of these things is work. And I said before, in your individual life every single day, if you're not working, it's not working. Same is true here at the church. As we gather, if you are not working, it's not working. If you might, I just didn't get anything out of that sermon. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to, surely has nothing to do with the Word of God. If you're not working, it's not working. Sometimes we hear people say, I just can't sing when that person's singing. I can't worship when that person, like, like if you notice when Brett introduced himself earlier, he didn't introduce himself as the worship leader. We don't have worship leaders at Flourishing Grace. We have directors of music or ministers of music, right? He just plays music. The work of worship is not his work, it's your work. You're doing that work, Right? And listen, you can put a chicken in a cage with a ferret. And that sound, horrifying. I'm not saying I know from experience, but I'm not saying I don't know from experience. I'm just saying you can, you can get that sound. You can worship to that. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. What is going on in my mind? What is going on in my heart? If all we do is just read the words on the screen and with empty hearts... There's nothing happening in that. Nothing happening in that. Jesus says it to the Pharisees. He says it this way. He says, Matthew 15, 7 through 9, he says, You hypocrites, what did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We come in here and we want an experience. And what we mean by that is we want to be entertained. That's what the church in America has done. And we're disseminating it throughout the world. 
this idea of just song and preaching. Song and preaching is all about how good is the music and how good is the preacher. Better be good. I want to be entertained. Don't screw it up today, Josh. I brought a friend. Um, you are doing the work. It's your work. I get it all the time. I brought a friend. Don't mess it up. Um, you are doing the work. The work of worship is your work to do. The music is just the music. The preacher is just the preaching. The work must be yours. And the only thing we want you to experience here at Flourishing Grace, the only thing we want you to experience is God pouring himself out into your very life and into your soul. I mean, that's what we want you to experience. You want churches that do pyrotechnics? I'll give you a list. You want churches that have props on stage to entertain you? I will give you a list. The only thing I want you to experience here at Flourishing Grace is God pouring himself out. As we, as we do the work and he shows up in this place and pours himself out into our lives and into our very souls, and that's what we want to experience. How do we do that? Quickly. I'm running way out of time. How do we do that? Well, I, I think it's foolish to think that every single Sunday you're going to show up here ready to work. I'll say this. I think... Um, when we show up late, I'm not picking on anybody, I'm just saying when we show up late, you miss out on the work. You miss it. If you miss out on, uh, on, on the bigness and the vastness of God and the smallness of Him, like the assurance doesn't mean much. Like, I just didn't get anything out of it. Well, you also show up 10 minutes late. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but man, it, it, we come early. We show up and we invest to do the work we prepare our hearts before we ever arrive. We come to work. Now, sometimes we come in here and we just don't feel like working. We come in here and like, gosh, I don't even want to be here. But my wife said I had to, right? Sometimes right before the gathering, like something terrible will happen. Like we have like five volunteers not show up or something breaks and we have to go after, like stressing out trying to fix it. And I just don't even want to be here. Sometimes I have to do extra work. Sometimes you have to do extra work. Sometimes as God pours himself out into us, and we're experiencing his presence in worship, maybe we'll raise our hands to worship him. Maybe we'll open our hands to confess our sin before him. But sometimes we raise our hands, we open our hands, in order to gain our, to, in order to move our heart towards that idea. Right? So, sometimes it's, it's an expression of what he's doing in us. Sometimes it's an expression of, of us kind of asking him to do it. God, I don't want to be here right now, but you are worthy. You are greater than all the things that are bothering me right, right now are less than the joy of Christ. And so I'm just going to declare that. Even though I don't feel it, I'm going to declare it. Sometimes we just take a knee. I don't, I don't feel like submitting, but I'm going to kneel. I'm going to bow before you. I'm going to let, allow the posture of my body to move my heart to the right place. I'm going to do extra work this morning. It's a work that's being done in our hearts and in our minds. But sometimes we need everything in us. We need the people around us. We just need to sit and listen as they declare the goodness and the mercies of Christ in our lives through song. Sometimes we have to do extra work. And all of this work is a love reorienting practice. That's why we gather. Some people say, I don't need church. Yeah, you do. Your heart's wicked and sinful just like mine. We need to come together to reorient our loves so that cross would be preeminent, our preeminent affection, our preeminent treasure of all things in our life, that he would sit far above all else and everything would be submitted unto him. This is why we gather and this is why we work together every week. 
What about those who are not followers of Jesus? Well, this is for them too. Every week we have people in the room who are not followers of Jesus. And if you're here this morning not following Jesus, man, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Flourishing Grace. This is for you too, even though it might not be the same. Stanley Hauervoss, theologian at Duke Theological Seminary, said there are few things more evangelistic than a faithful community of God faithfully worshiping the triune God. As we declare to each other the goodness and the mercies of God and the the work that he's done on the cross, we declare to those who don't know it yet, who haven't seen it yet. There's nothing more beautiful than that. There's nothing more powerful than that. As God pours himself out to us and we're moved to, to emotions of tears or shouts of joy or the raising of hands, right? When the world looks in on that, at first they might say, man, that's weird. But they have to admit something is happening there that's not happening in my life. It's the power of the Spirit of God moving in us and through us. So friends, the preacher is just the preacher. The music is just the music. We are the workers representing the gospel to ourselves and to one another week in and week out. And so my hope is that you would show up ready to work. You would rise early, that you would spend time in preparation before you ever come here. You would be prepared and ready. You'd spend time in the Word and prayer before you ever arrive. As you come into the building, you'd be looking for people who you know are going through things in life so you can encourage them, you can breathe breathe courage into life. People who maybe are new so that you can welcome them in. But then after you got your coffee and all your stuff, you'd come in, you'd sit down and you'd begin, still your heart, confess your sin, prepare yourself to do the work of the ministers of the church as we worship our God. Let me pray for us. Jesus, this morning we come before you, and I pray that you would rewrite our understanding of praise and our rewrite our understanding of worship, that it would be exposed in our lives where we are praising and worshiping the wrong things in the wrong order, that you would expose that, convict us of that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we confess that, that we do the work of confession so that we might do the work of worship. Pray for the church as we gather. We've jacked this up. I confess, in our culture, in our day, we've turned this into a show, a spectacle of music and eloquent words. We've neglected the work of the people. Would you shift that in us? Would you shift that here at Flourishing Grace? And would we see a powerful outpouring of the Spirit of God in this place, as we show up ready to work, as we do the work of worship in our hearts and in our minds, week in and week out, would you bless that work? I pray these things in your powerful name, in the name of Jesus, amen.